0: Good evening and good morning wherever you are on this beautiful spring and globe. Our guest tonight is Karen Anderson of The Amazing Afterlife of Animals. And I am your host tonight, filling in for Richard C. Hogan, along with Andrew Curry. So this is Kinthea and Andrew Curry. And I'm really excited to have Karen on with us tonight. She's got an amazing story to tell. Um, and <laughs> we have cats and my cat's at the door. <laughs> All right. So um, so Karen is in the... Uh, one second here. Forgive me. My cat. All right. So Karen Anderson is an award-winning uh, afterlife expert, animal communicator, best-selling author, and coach from the Inland Pacific Northwest. She is a leading authority on afterlife, having conducted thousands of consultations over the last two decades with departed souls. Her ability to obtain amazing, accurate, evidential messages from the other side has brought about much-needed healing to her clients across the globe. Karen's psychic abilities first appeared in childhood and became so accurate, they would later help her solve crimes during her law enforcement career. Karen has written two best-selling and award-winning books, The Amazing Afterlife of Animals and Hear All Creatures. She is also featured in the documentary All Around Us, which follows the life story of a psychic medium. She offers private coaching for entrepreneurs, authors, book publishing, marketing, and animal communication. Welcome, Karen, to The Other Side of Midnight. Thank you so
1: much. Oh, my gosh. I'm so excited to be here tonight with you, with both of you.
2: Well, Hi, Karen.
0: Oh, <laughs> go ahead, Ann. <laughs> Sorry,
2: Kenthea. Here I am, anxiously waiting or biting at the bit there. Hi, you guys. Thank you so much for having me on, Kenthea, to co-host with you. And, Karen, welcome to The Other Side of Midnight. Thank you
0: very much. Anne, I... I uh, want to mention to our guests that if you're just tuning in, the way to find the page is to go to the other side of midnight.com. And either you can click on tonight's show, or if it's not tonight, it's another night, then you're going to click on the banner that says The Amazing Afterlife of Animals. It's got this beautiful vista with this dog and cat looking at the sunset. It's just totally spoke to me (laughs) and so Karen um, I'm so curious I, I just finished your book The Amazing Afterlife and I was really taken with how intricate some of these messages were from people's pets or even wild animals where you were talking about these wild deer that helped you track down a fugitive in your law enforcement career. is <laughs> pretty amazing. So before we get into all that, I think the audience would really like to know how you came to this journey. What brought you here? What, how did you discover this talent that you have?
1: Well, I'll tell you, it was um, um, kind of a shock to me too, but uh, going back as far as I can remember, I've always loved animals so much, and I know probably many of your listeners can absolutely um, just resonate with how closely tied we are to our pets, and as a young child, that was my world. I didn't have a lot of human friends, but I had lots of animal friends and animal all kind and as a small child I could understand them on a level that I should not have been able to understand them and when it came down to uh, sharing that information with my family uh, it didn't go over really well it kind of spooked them and so they they really discouraged me from Telling them what the dog said or what the cat said, or you know, they, they they just didn't know how to handle that information, and so they told me, you know, animals can't talk, and you shouldn't make up stories, and you just have an overactive imagination. And so I learned very quickly to to not tell anyone about it. I felt like I was doing something wrong, unfortunately. So if you, if you have children, please don't discourage them from, from sharing with you, because I know in, in my situation, I can't even imagine what things would be like if my abilities had been nurtured by my family back then, and they just weren't. So I was I was quite careful about who I would share that information with at a very young age, but that's where it all started. When I was really little, in fact my very very first uh, dog when I was a little kid, I will credit him for teaching me how to communicate with animals, but see back then I thought everyone could do it.
2: Ah. Karen, did you grow up in a rural environment or are you when you say you had lots of animals, this is Andrew speaking by the way. Um, which you know. Um did you have like a rural setting or was it more just family pets or did you have like wild animals coming to you like birds, like could you put, give us a frame of reference there, please?
1: I grew up in a little town in southern California. It's called San Dimas and it's right at the base of the San Bernardino Mountains and it was a typical like perfect little suburban neighborhood. So it wasn't rural, but it wasn't city. So it was just kind of in the suburbs and we had just your normal family pets, but I always had a few extras like hamsters and fish okay. and rabbits and that sort of thing
2: right and you know you brought up um about how you know you were letting your family know you were communicating with the animals but i mean lots of little kids have a special little friend right like that's kind of a normal like you know when we talk about normal child development we think of kids you know they have this special invisible friend i mean was that was that not something that was part of the family or was that not really understood do you know what i mean
1: I do, Andrea. I know what you mean. Um, and in my situation I could also see spirits when I was a oh, little kid.
3: Interesting. So oh.
1: that really scared my parents. They didn't, didn't know what to do with that. But this was all so fun for me. Like I thought these spirits were always really nice, really friendly. I always had good experiences with them. They would show up and and pop in, and sometimes they'd hang out for a while, and other times they were just there for even just a brief moment or two. It never scared me. I never felt like I was in danger or in harm's way. I just felt very loved. I felt very special when the spirits would pop in. And again, when I started sharing information about who I was seeing and describing family members who had passed on
0: many years back, that freaked my parents. Seven. Oh, so that's when they got it was real. Like what age were you? Were you under seven or yeah. over? Yeah, I was probably around four or five when all of this started, I would say. And you were actually describing family members that you had never met, but they they recognized them.
1: Right.
2: So um, they didn't
0: they
1: didn't want me to to do that <laughs> uh.
2: so so you so you had the compounded issue of not only seeing um you know I see dead people from M. Night Shyamalan's films um what was the name <laughs> of the film guys but you also saw yeah the sixth sense you also saw animals coming and talking to you as well so you had a double whammy going on yeah, as- they,
1: my parents thought I was so nuts um they just labeled me as an, a kid with overactive imagination And um, unfortunately, because of that, I learned very early uh, not to share this information and really not to um, sharpen those skills. I felt like I had to hide it. I had to keep it quiet. So that was something that that was unfortunate. You know, looking back on that, I wish I could have told everyone and shared what I was getting, and, and, and I wish it would have been well received, but it just wasn't.
2: And Karen, in in your book, um, the amazing afterlife of animals. I thought, unless I'm getting my memory messed up here, that there was a friend of yours in school who did encourage you or who listened to you with with your skill, with your ability. Am I getting that right?
1: Yeah, she was my best friend growing up. Her name was Lori, and we're actually still friends to this day. Wow. I know. Um, thank goodness for Facebook, right? So. <laughs> Um, she was the only one who believed me. And, you know, we were kind of horse crazy. She had a horse and I had a pony. And so we were just really into animals. And so to her, my best friend, it seemed only natural that the animals would talk to me. So, yeah, she was the only one that actually believed that I could understand them and that they actually talked to me.
2: Interesting.
0: I can really relate having uh, had relationships with animals all my life. When I was a little girl, I used to dress my pet white rat up in little doll clothes and <laughs> give her a ride on the back of my neighbor's cat. Gosh. they The things we do, the things we do, you know, it didn't <laughs> seem odd to me. <laughs> well, you
2: know, it's, It's funny you guys should say that because um, uh, recently I read an article um, about this gentleman. He's in his – I think he's in his – he might be about 80, and I can't remember. He's somewhere in the United States. I forget the state. But he takes in – well, dogs somehow end up on his property, him and his wife. They own a fairly large property. And he's made – like he has a tractor, and he's made like a train. And he puts all these dogs that he's basically – him and his wife take care of – and he rides them around the town. It's it's the funniest video. I should have had the link, um, but I didn't know this was going to come up. But what I guess I'm trying to say, Karen, is that there seems to be more – I mean it's often Richard talks about this in this time that we live in now where there's this sort of upsurge and you know, almost mania or craziness and some sometimes this sort of heightened, almost hyper-behavior of people in negative ways, but there's also this reciprocal effect of – these incredibly generous, loving people who are doing these amazing things with animals and rescue animals. And are you noticing that more and more now, Karen, in in your practice?
1: I am. And, you know, I think the thing about uh, animals is they really do bring out the best in us. And we can have the worst day at work. We can have the worst day with family. But, you know, when we come home to our pets, that's our sanctuary. And they ground us. They, They keep us Balanced, they bring us so much joy. They're such great companions. You know, they don't care what kind of car you drive. They don't care, you know, what how much money you have in your bank. You know, it just it's really something I think that all of us need. And to have that relationship, in in my opinion, is better than anything else in the world. When we have these little guys or big guys that love and adore us. and so happy to see us. I mean, I, I don't know about you guys. I have three little chihuahua sized dogs. I can go out. I can go outside for, you know, be gone for 30 seconds. And when I walk back in, they act like they haven't seen me, you know, all day. And it's like, oh, we're so glad to see you. And It's like, yeah. oh my gosh, you guys, I was just outside for a minute. But, you know, we need this in our lives and people are doing more and more for the animals and with social media we're seeing more incredible things. I know the train that you're talking about. I've actually seen oh, you it. Do? Uh, yeah.
0: Yeah, I've seen it I can put the link up after the show. Yeah, yeah. We'll, page.
2: we'll find it for you. It's really cute. Um Kynthia, he's basically made these little plastic tubes turn them into little like train engine cars and he drives that around and the dogs are just barking and having just a great time. And I I found so many stories like that. I mean, for all the negative stories Karen and Kinthea out there, you know the, the cruelty that does happen to animals. There's just these incredible, inspiring narratives that are going on all the time. And and you're right, Karen. It's it, particularly on the social media platforms like Facebook, and especially places like Facebook because you can play the videos, right? And it's it's really beautiful. You know, I think the term that you might have been looking for in terms of animals, and I know it's the way I've always felt with the same way, kind of having grown up with pets, is is unconditional love. Hmm. And yeah. I think that's what they bring. I think that's just exactly what you say. And, you know, and even if you, you know, like, I, you know, when, if you if you are acting badly, they still somehow find a way to forgive you. And, yeah. you know, the guilt that you feel if you ever, you know, raise your voice or, or God forbid, do something else to them, you you just, you know, you, you live with that for so long. So absolutely. Yeah.
1: I would agree. I think they teach us a lot of lessons. I think they help us be better people. I I know that for me, they've opened a place in my heart when I was in some of the lowest places in my life. And if it weren't for my animals, I don't know what would have happened because they gave me a reason to get up in the morning. They gave me a reason that I had to take care of them. I had to go feed them or, you know, whatever I had to do, but they really help us in ways that we, can't get that kind of help from a human relationship. So it's very unique. It's, I think it's very sacred. I mean, think about how long animals have been around humans, you know, we're talking about so long and, and, yeah. you know, we really do love these guys. They're, they're not just part of the family. They are family.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Um Now, Karen, you're, you're, um, Kathy and I were talking about your employment history. You've kind of referred to it a, a little bit. Can you kind of go over, like, you because you got a really interesting background, of all the things that you've done, and you know, which you brought out in in your book, your latest book. Can you talk about that a little bit, like, you know, the sort of financial end of your career to the, um, you know, law enforcement to the to the horse stalls, and all. You know what I mean?
1: Absolutely. It's um, it's a crazy journey and not certainly one that when I look back on it now, it makes a lot of sense. But when it was happening, it made absolutely no sense at all. But um, when, I, uh, when I was little, I could understand the animals, but I, I shut it all down and something really traumatic happened. I held myself responsible for the death of a cat and I write about it in my first book, Hear All Creatures. And it was really, I was traumatized by it. And so I decided at that moment, I was never going to communicate with animals again, I was about eight years old. And I said, that's it, no more, I'm done. So at that point, I kind of put it on the back shelf, I put it on the back burner, and uh, went on with, you know, what I would say was a very normal childhood. And eventually, I wound up in the mortgage industry, where I spent almost 18 years uh, working for various different brokers and lenders in the Southern California area. That's where I grew up in Southern California. And it was one of those things that I never felt like I loved my job. I never felt like I was fulfilled doing that work. And it was hard to walk away from because the money can be very good. And I kept going back to it time and time again. And I'm not a math person. I'm not a numbers person. And yet here I was working with percentages and interest rates and loan to value and appraised values. And, you know, this whole area that just wasn't me and didn't resonate with me. So I felt always a little bit like a fish out of water and, I'd have to say I was probably just in it for the money at that point because I really didn't have any other skills. So uh, it was during the time of great, um, when you really look at yourself, you, you get very introspective about what am I doing with my life? You know, where is this going? I feel so empty inside. I just didn't like going to work every day. And that's where everything kind of changed. And I felt this incredible sense to start volunteering in my community. And I felt like I needed to give something back. Like there was more to, to this life than just getting up in the morning and going to work every day and getting a paycheck. And so I started asking myself questions. I started asking questions about the universe. I started to expand my kind of narrow-minded thinking that there was more out there than than just meets the eye. And I ended up at the local animal control facility. Now, at this point I had moved to the Rocky Mountains of Colorado. And I just followed my heart with my love of animals. And I thought, well, I'm going to volunteer at the animal control. Well, what I didn't realize is that animal control was housed under the sheriff's department. Oh. And, and that's who managed it. That's who controlled it. And uh, I started riding along with the animal control officers. I started going on. Responding to calls, and we'd go and rescue animals, and I was like, yes, I'm like, God, this is what I want to do. I love working with the animals, and um, that was right about the time that my financial career had come to uh, uh, an end, and I had to find a way to make money somehow, so I decided to open uh, my own business, and basically scoop poop for a living. <laughs> true, true story. I called myself the Corral Gal, and I put an ad in the local paper, and I picked up a few clients, and I literally would go around with my pickup truck and my wheelbarrow and my pitchfork, and I would scoop poop. So,
2: <laughs> anyway, so it really did hit the fan, right, Karen?
1: Anyone who's out there that's thinking that, uh, you know that they've got a tough job. Let me tell you.
3: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Karen, can
2: I can, can I back you up just for a quick sec? Yes. Right. Just before I know we're getting, we're heading towards a break, but you said that this, and I didn't read your other book. I know, cynthia, I think you have that there was a traumatic moment when you were when you were younger, when you were eight, about you felt responsible for the death of a cat, and then all those years went by, and then you made this decision to go back and 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 work with animals what was the what's the interstitial space there how did you make that like entry back how did you overcome like did you just sort of forget about that time when you were really little or did you just come to terms with it or did you go i need to go and volunteer to make up for that like what was the clincher that made you do you know what i mean like to, to get you back into the animal realm
1: I would say that it was a very subconscious thing. I didn't make any decision about it. I didn't know where the universe was taking me. So I was really putting it out there. I was just saying, what am I supposed to be doing with my life? I didn't know where to go. I could see my financial career coming to a screeching halt and things were just crashing and burning in the financial industry. And I just didn't know what to do with myself. So it wasn't a conscious thought but I was putting it out into the universe that there's got to be more. What what am I supposed to be doing? I, I just felt really lost and I didn't have the answer. So I didn't have a clue as to what to do. I felt, if anything, I felt very confused. I didn't know in which direction to go in. I didn't know what to do with myself. So I just, when that incident happened with the cat, I pushed it out of my mind, never thought about it again And it stayed hidden for almost three decades. And it wasn't until many, 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 many years later that that surfaced again. So this was all very subconscious stuff going on. Nothing here. I had no clue what I was doing. I was just fumbling through life and I was trying to figure things out and nothing was making sense to me. But I kept coming back to my love of animals. That that was like the theme in my life. It just kept coming up over and over again and once again i found myself wanting to work with animals so that's how i ended up uh volunteering and that's how i ended up <laughs> scooping poop for a living and uh i got really good at uh my job because i started to get really busy <laughs> and but, Karen,
2: Karen, but that, uh, that's that's you see that's such a beautiful thing i i know this is a bit oxymoronic but you're you're humbling yourself to the animals I mean, you're taking care of their business, right? I mean, that is a real. Cynthia, can you cut in on this? Like, do you know what I mean? Like, that's a real. It's a real bridge to to you know when, when you're when you're doing that for another creature, right? It's it's a real. What am I looking for here?
0: Well, my sense is from reading Karen's book and and listening to you now, Karen, is that the financial world seems so empty for you and you said that you felt that you needed to contribute so I see that your spirit was feeling like you were feeling hungry hungry for to nurture your spirit and even scooping poop was closer to to the creatures that you love I mean love is what aligns us with our core being of who we are, and there's you were experiencing love. Would you say that was what called you there? I would
1: say it it has to be there because you know, you don't just leave a um, a very lucrative career in the financial industry yeah. and and go start you know scooping manure for a living and. <laughs> I, <laughs> I have to tell you, I was so happy doing that. I yeah. worked really hard. I wasn't I didn't have a lot of clients at first because it was going into winter, and nobody wants you to scoop their corral and going into winter, but I just stuck with it. I ended up getting more and more clients. They told their friends about my awesome poop scooping abilities, and pretty soon <laughs> they told their friends and the next thing you knew, I had more clients that I knew what to do with but I was so happy. Yeah, I was yeah. with the animals. I was out in the barnyards. I was like, so, I was, I felt so good at the end of the day. I never felt that way
0: in my mm-hmm. other
1: career. So yeah. when
0: you were doing that, were were you getting messages from the horses at that time or was that oh, like,
1: absolutely, absolutely. I was getting messages and I was, I was, finding that my abilities were starting to percolate up to the surface again. So it was a slow process, just kind of a bubbling up. But Mm -hmm. I was starting to get more and more. It was almost like a magnetic pull. I felt so pulled to the animals. There was nothing that was going to keep me away from them. I'm sure that you know, looking back now, of course, it makes perfect sense. But like I said, at the time, it made no sense at all as to why, you know, my family thought I was totally nuts. Here I leave Absolutely. this <laughs> career. It's like, Karen, what are you doing now? Oh, well, you know, mom and dad and and poop for a living. And they're like, oh, my God, she's totally lost her mind. So, right. you know, right. it, it was a beautiful experience, though, because... Yeah. You know, you didn't have to punch a time clock. You you know, nobody keeps track of how many hours you spend there. All they care is that you clean up. You know, you get the job done. That's all that mattered. Everything shifted for me. When I stood in the middle of my truth of who I am and what I love, when I stood in that truth, nothing else mattered. It didn't matter what I was making, what I was earning. It didn't matter the kind of car I drove. It didn't matter that I wasn't, um, you know, a top executive with a big desk in a fancy office anymore. None of that stuff mattered. I had fallen into the materialistic trap of this world. And I was finding my way back to myself, back to the core of who I was.
0: I think that's such a, such a powerful, powerful example of what joy really is. You know that it's not the outside success that we measure; it's the inside success. And that's absolutely. Just, I you know I hope I wish a lot of people could really hear this show and hear you talk about that because I I see so many people who are trapped in these worlds that in these little cubicles and and they feel so cut off from life and I can see that you were like reunited with life and now you're t- saying that you were also hearing the horses talk to mm-hmm. you were you acknowledging were you acknowledging that um the communication
3: yes
1: absolutely and it it, it was one of those things where i i felt like uh, they were My teachers at that point in time, I felt like I was learning from them. I felt like I was learning as an adult how to understand them. I knew how to understand them as a child. But remember, Uh I had stopped communicating with them for all those years. I had buried it and pushed it on the back burner. Now I felt them wanting to teach me all over again. And I couldn't get enough
0: of it. Right. Karen, we need to hold that thought because we're coming up on a break now. And so you're listening to The Other Side of Midnight, and our guest tonight is Karen Anderson. The show is called The Amazing Afterlife of Animals, and we are having a a journey on how this communication revealed itself to Karen and the implications of finding your true calling and how that can really change your life. So we'll catch you back on the other side of the break. And welcome back to The Other Side of Midnight. Our guest tonight is Karen Anderson, and I, Cynthia, along with Andrew Curry, we're filling in for Richard Hoagland tonight. Uh, Karen is an animal communicator and afterlife expert, and we are listening to how she came to this uh, amazing revelation. Karen, welcome back. Thank you so much. So we were just talking about how you made this shift from the corporate world in uh, finances with a big salary to uh, pooping, scoop, scoop, pooping, (laughs) (laughs) and happy as could be, sailing along free as a bird and talking with horses. And I'm curious, when, when you were doing this, were your clients... Were they recognizing that you were having conversations with their horses?
1: No, not at all. You know, they weren't even home. I was out in their barns and, you know, you just go do barn calls all day and and you just go from farm to farm and place to place. And you just, I was surrounded by animals. I was so happy just being surrounded by all these animals. It was like the most amazing experience ever, just to be in that presence and to have them they're sharing everything with me. I just I felt so lucky. I felt like I was coming alive again for the first time in a long time.
0: Oh my goodness.
2: Oh my goodness. So Karen, Can would they, you Oh go ahead. sorry, Can, yeah. No, okay. you go ahead, Andrew. Okay. Sorry you guys, we're we're <laughs> and I are getting used to each other, Karen. So both have lots of questions. So um you said that the animal um shelter or the animal uh humane society or or whatever it was in Colorado was above the sheriff's station. Is that right?
1: No, it was actually um, under the umbrella of the sheriff's department. Oh, okay. Yeah. So the sheriff's department was in charge of animal control and they handled,
3: Okay. Uh,
1: it was part of the department. These weren't sworn officers. The animal control officers weren't. So they didn't go through a police academy. They didn't carry weapons. Um, they couldn't make arrests, uh, but they could go out and enforce the county statutes and that sort of thing. So that's where I got my exposure for the very first time to law enforcement was through animal control. So I fell in love with going out and doing and rescuing animals and, and trying to help them. I fell in love with that whole aspect of of work and I loved riding with the animal control officers. I would go on their entire shift with them and just go from call to call to call and if you've if you ever get the chance to do a ride along, oh my gosh, you should so do it. It's just amazing what what these people do and the things that they have to unfortunately, some of them not very pleasant, some of the things they have to see. But you know, these people are making a difference and they're really out there trying to help the animals.
2: Interesting. And so that was at the same time that you were doing the job of you know um the corral gal right and so we're, we're, so were the horses helping you acquire your language? you know that, that sort of inner language again and then that helped you begin because you talked about riding i think with the with the sheriffs to, or with the police and then um can you give us an idea what happened when, when you had animals actually give you messages about witnessing crime i remember you had that in your book
1: yeah that came a little bit later so the oh, way okay. The way that everything kind of unfolded is I got introduced to law enforcement through animal control. And it was because I was around the other deputies on the sheriff's department, that's where I started riding along along with them as well. So I caught the bug. It's like a bug. You just it gets in your system and you just, oh my gosh, it's just incredible. So now I've made the leap from writing with animal control officers. I made the leap into writing with some of the deputies that were on the department. And that's where everything really shifted for me. I found like this whole new world of um, serving my community and, and being a servant instead of what I was doing before, you know, it was so different being in the financial world. And, you know, here I am protecting and serving. And so I did everything I could to spend as much time doing ride-alongs with the deputies. And I got training. I This was all volunteer. So I became a reserve officer at first. And again, I just loved it. I loved everything about it. I had never even held a gun before. I mean, everything was so new to me. Right. You know, this is not something that I used to think when I was a kid, oh, I want to grow up someday and be a police officer. No, you know, I wanted to grow up and be a veterinarian. (laughs) So this was not something I had ever thought of. But I just totally fell in love with the work. I fell in love with giving back to my community. That was the big push in me was to give something back, to give something back to the animals, and to give something back to the world. And you know, when you're a servant, when when you do that work. I mean, it, it's very humbling, but to me, it's very empowering because you really are making a difference. And for all my fellow brothers and sisters in blue, you know, thank you for your service. It's a thankless job. Um, it's an incredible job. But, you know, they are putting their lives on the line every single time they go to work. Can you say that about your job? You know, do you put your life on the line when you go to work? Probably not. But these first responders do. And unless you have worn that uniform, unless you've had the badge, you just don't understand it completely. You might have an idea if your spouse or your child or something that is in Law enforcement, or as a first responder, but if you've worn the badge, you guys, if you're shaking your head, yes, if you've worn the badge, you know exactly what I'm talking about.
2: And Karen, that would include the canine unit too. Did you ever, was there any of that going on where you were?
1: There was, but you know, if we had such a small department. And it was okay. very, very, very poor department. It. Um, I had to. I had to buy all my own equipment when I finally got on the sheriff's department, it was very, very poor. It was a very small community. There's no tax base there. Every time there there was a opportunity for the deputies to get a raise, it would always get voted down. I mean, we okay. were <laughs> one of the lowest paid um, law enforcement officers in the area. So, um, you know, the canine unit, there was one canine and he lived way on the other side of the county and they really didn't do too much um, because he was on the other side of the County. So I mean, I didn't get to, to do too much in that respect. I would have loved to, but I didn't get
2: to. Now, what about the, like in your book, the amazing afterlife of animals, you talk about your time in law enforcement. You finally uh, went through the Academy graduate. You got a great picture with you and your mom there. Um, and you talk about going to some of these calls And, you know, running into some of these house pets who are still sitting around while things have happened. Can you relate to us like a story or two, please?
1: Absolutely. I think one of the things to realize is that when when I graduated from the police academy, I was the only female officer on a very small department. There were eight of us, eight deputies, and there weren't even enough officers to have two of us on duty at the same time. So I often worked alone and right out of the academy, they put me on the night shift. So I will come on at three o'clock in the afternoon and I would be the last car to go home. Now, I think looking back on it, they did that on purpose because they probably wanted to test me and they probably wanted to scare me to see what I was made out of. And in that time that I had to work by myself out in this rural mountain district, I'm talking, you know, miles and miles and miles of nothingness out there. And your nearest backup car was sometimes half an hour, 45 minutes away. Sometimes your backup car was at home sleeping. So you had That's to dangerous. work. Yes. No kidding. <laughs> you had to work very smart. Yeah. And you, what happened to me was the, all of my senses became heightened Like suddenly I had to pay attention to every little thing, how people held themselves, how they spoke, what their body language was saying, how the energy felt when I walked into a a room trying to determine who was lying, who was telling the truth. There was just so much going on and I found myself becoming very adept at being able to pick up on people's energy and figure out what was going on. And it was really out of self-protection. You know, I was doing it because my life depended on it in, in many of these scenarios. It, it was not like you see on TV where, you know, there's 25 police cars that pull up, you know, when something's happening on TV. That's not what I experienced. We had no backup. We had nobody Sometimes for a long time showing up, if we were lucky, state patrol would be out there. If they happened to be listening to our channel, we'd get a state patrol officer to come by. But really, it was up to me and whoever else was on duty to figure this stuff out. So when I would respond to calls, I was taking in every little bit of every ounce of information that I could take just so that I could stay safe and go home and you know and not get hurt and when you go into people's homes or when you go to a situation where there's been a fight or some kind of a crime scene you don't know what their intentions are you don't know who's hiding in the closet you don't know who's around the next corner you just don't know so I really had this heightened sense of awareness and that's the craziest thing started happening is um and, and I'll I'll share this one story with you, but you have to give me like 30 seconds because I left the dog out last yes. at the door. So will you give me like 30 seconds to go back in?
0: (laughs) Of course.
1: (laughs) All right. I'll be right back.
0: Right. I just think it's so amazing that they would be sending a new officer out into the dark alone. And a woman. And a woman, right? Exactly. I mean, what were they thinking? Uh, and a rookie.
2: Huh? And a rookie, Cynthia.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's just yeah. mind-baffling to me that they would do that.
2: Yeah. Well, it, talk I guess
0: about testing her. It seems more than testing her to me.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it was definitely a baptism in fire. But you know, mm-hmm. it, but like Karen said, it began to make her more acute in her sensibilities and her senses. Right. She was able to. Mm-hmm. Just absolutely be so razor sharp because she had to be. She was forced to be, and it's like one of those. I mean, can you talk about all the time the universe is presenting us what we need, right? Or what what we're right. requesting on some right. level, and it came right back to her that, well, this is your next step. You're going to have to be as sharp as attack and be ready for an attack if it happens.
0: It's like a setup, you know. Almost, <laughs> the and universe is setting you up for what your next step is, and fortunately you know, she, she paid attention to her guidance and stayed safe.
2: Yeah. And isn't it funny that, I mean, there's a certain irony to the universe all the time we talk about this is that sometimes you have to wonder if the things that we ask for and we receive are sometimes like the joke is on us. You know? like, do oh, you know what I mean? And it's like, and, a, and you know, Oh, I, 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 I requested that, but I didn't quite expect it to come sideways to me that way. So for her, this was one of those tests. And and I mean, maybe there was a a risk assessment in terms of a smaller town. Maybe they knew the local, you know, characters and, you know, again, a smaller town is more word of mouth. There may have been amongst the officers and her commanding officer, a sense of like, well, you know, we, we pretty much know things are fairly safe, but as Karen said, things get heated up. People get, have arguments. If you, if you throw substance abuse in there, and any kind of other trauma that's, you know, latent or any kind of mental illness, and the next thing you know, you've got a powder keg. So she was in the middle of that, and she has these amazing stories in her book. Fabulous book, everybody. I will have to find out uh, where she, where this is available, Cynthia. I'm I'm thinking it's probably well. There
0: there is on the page. You can there's a link that'll take you to to purchase it if you like. Perfect. So. Yeah, and um, I really have been enjoying that book. In fact, I want to share that I had a startling kind of meet-up with Karen for the first time because when I was first contacting her for the show, I was my mind—I was in a totally different kind of space of mind, completely. And I was agitated with something that had gone on, and and Karen came on so bright and bubbly and happy, <laughs> and I'm thinking I'm so far from there right now. And then all of a sudden she says to me, "Do you know Rose?" And I'm thinking, Rose. Well, you see, my niece's name was Rose. My mother's name was Rosa, you know. And I know they communicate with pictures. No, well, she's here. She's she's telling you, and she 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 told me some things. And I'm thinking, hmm, you know. And then she says, "And do you know an Ed?" Now that's just a little too much because Uh Ed also had gone on, and he's my stepdad. Okay. So like I was like speechless for about five minutes yeah. literally suddenly there was just like silence on the phone i couldn't talk because she had picked up on on my stepdad and my mom it was pretty amazing and i you know it wasn't like i was thinking of them i was not thinking of them at all <laughs> yeah so it, it is an amazing ability that she has and you know in the book she mentions that we can all develop these abilities yes and you know it's so important that we not close ourselves off as young people to that possibility and parents you know like she's saying don't discourage your children because those are talents that in this case saved your life
1: yeah
0: you absolutely know, over and over again and yes i am back you guys oh, there you <laughs> well, we've been having i related our our phone conversation where you blew me away karen picking up on my mom and my stepdad and we were also talking about how you had developed these abilities that kept you safe we couldn't imagine how they're sending a rookie out in the dark by yourself with no backup just like
1: I like I said that's I think it was just they wanted to see what I was made out of and being the only female on the department you know it's a boys club anyhow but Well, I
0: think the universe wanted to put you in a position where you had to really bring those talents forward. Yes,
1: absolutely. And boy, they threw me in. It was sink or swim, let me tell you. So, um, okay, I've got a great story to share with you. This is really kind of what started the ball rolling, if you will. And um, I didn't see it coming at all. It just totally caught me by surprise. So I had been, you know, kind of sharpening my skills at home and with the horses that I was scooping, you know, in the corral cleaning business. So I was having these abilities starting to come back to me. I was remembering. It was a remembrance. And we all have these abilities. It's it's a skill just like any other skill, tennis, piano, golf, anything that you can learn. Um, what I do is just like that. The more you practice, the better you become, and so I've been kind of, you know, getting back into it and focusing my abilities again. Well, I was on a call one time. It was for domestic violence. And I was interviewing the victim. The suspect had fled on foot, and it was the boyfriend. And the boyfriend had assaulted her. She was pregnant. And he actually punched her in the stomach, if you can believe that. Oh, boy. So- Yeah, so um, the other officer that was on the scene with me was um, looking for the suspect. I stayed back, and I was interviewing the victim. We were standing out in front of her house, and as we were sitting there chatting back and forth, I was getting the basic information down from her. Uh, She had this little kitty walk out of her house, and, of course, I'm a huge cat lover, so I immediately saw the cat, and there's a lot of commotion going on. So you can imagine, you know, most pets would run and hide. This right, little kitty just, was just like doo do 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 just kind <laughs> of happy doing its thing. And um of course I paid attention to the cat because I love cats. So I was like, Oh, what's your kitty's name? And she's like, Oh, that's my boy Smokey, and I said, Oh, he's so cute. So he, this little cat walked right over to this garden shed that was, you know, about 25 yards away from us it sat down right in front of this garden shed I looked at the cat the cat looked at me and I heard the word inside
3: oh boy oh my god
1: right so I'm sitting here going no way did I just hear that no way <laughs> no way no way no way because no no it was in my voice It was my voice in my own head, like my own thought. And I heard inside, but it was kind of an urgent, like inside. It wasn't like inside, you know, it was like inside. It was like one of those kind of urgent messages. Wow, Wow. And this had, should have been searched already. The other officer should have already searched everything right where we were standing around should have already been searched. Well, I decided to roll with it. So I went over and I ordered the suspect out with his hands up over by that garden shed. And sure enough, guess what happens? Oh my he comes out. He comes out and I swear my jaw hit the ground. I was <laughs> I was so shocked. I did not believe I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe what was happening. So um that was where I had one of those moments where I said, okay, universe, I'm (laughs) listening to you now. You got my attention. I cannot believe what just happened. Now, I didn't tell anybody. I didn't put it in my report that my confidential informant has four legs and a tail. No, (laughs) no, no. I'm sorry. I was already the only female officer on the department. The last yeah. thing I was going to do was say that some cat told me where the suspect was. <laughs> that wasn't going to happen. So <laughs> again, I kept it very much to myself, just like I had always done my whole life. And I thought as a cop now, I was, I was thinking, what are the possibilities here? Think about this. There's usual, somebody you go to a scene of an accident or at somebody's house or whatever, domestic violence, they usually have a pet, a dog or a cat or something. What are the possibilities of that animal sharing information with me? So I decided to test the theory. I wanted to test this theory and see. And believe it or not, animals are way more accurate than human eyewitnesses and they don't take sides you know when there's a human that witnessed something they're they're either for the victim or they're for the suspect or there's some agenda or they're trying to hide something or you know whatever there's some kind of ulterior motive but with an animal they're just upfront and they're honest and they just say it like it is and there's no hidden agenda so i began to find that animals on crime scenes could tell me in some cases, what happened before I even got there, which was invaluable in helping me, as you can imagine, um, doing uh, figuring out what happened. If you get called to a scene of a crime and they're both telling, telling you that the other one did it, the other one started it, and you can get information from one of the pets on the scene as to who the aggressor was, wouldn't that help you with your investigation? Oh Absolutely you know where to go with your line of questioning.
2: Well, Karen, you know, um, it's so interesting that it was a cat that sort of, you know, really broke the story for you or really broke you into the career. It sounds like that was the sort of linchpin or one of the big spots going forward, because we've talked about this on the show, as Richard's pointed out in the past, that cats, domestic cats have a very close genetic similarity to human beings in, in, um, uh, in the Abyssinian domestic cat in a study done in 2007 90% of their DNA is similar to ours and you actually have a quote in your book The Amazing Afterlife of Animals where you quote Robert Heinlein the great um science fiction writer and I I'm going to I'm going to paraphrase it here but I think it's something along the lines of how you treat a cat in this life determines your treatment in heaven so it's you. Bare, yeah
1: Oh, yes. I love that one. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah.
1: And, you know, it was those kind of moments where, you know, my head was spinning, I'll admit it. I couldn't believe what was happening. I wasn't going to tell anyone what was happening. But I was using all of my abilities to the best that I could. And it was opening up this whole new world to me that was truly fascinating and uh, and at the same time shocking, It was fascinating and shocking because as a cop, you want evidence, you want proof. If you don't have proof and hard evidence, you don't have a case. And, you know, it's something that they drill into your head through the police academy. And so here I am getting my information from a pet. I mean, it just sounds ridiculous. It sounds utterly ridiculous. But you know what? They're they're so accurate. And it worked. And it wasn't just that one time. It happened multiple times. I was able to get all kinds of information. And like you said, even in the intro there or when we were talking about earlier, um, even wild animals could tell me what was going on at the scene of a crime.
0: Well, we have about. Three minutes. If you can go into that, or we could pick it up on the other side of the break. I'm curious, what did your other law officers think about you <laughs> being somehow having these in two? They would probably just think you were getting lucky. What did they think when you kept coming up with unusual insights?
1: Well, you know, we were so supportive of each other because this small department. We were best friends, all of us, really helped each other. There was no homicide division, there was no narcotics division. We had a you catch him, you clean him mentality. If you, know, if you made the arrest, you took it all the way till it went to court and to trial or whatever. And so we were very supportive of each other, but truly nobody knew what was going on with me. I kept it very much to myself. I didn't tell anybody what was going on or where I was getting my information from. You know, if, if one of my fellow officers solved the case or did something that, you know, that I would support him with, it would be the same way if they were supporting me. So it was it was just the camaraderie. That's the thing I love. That's what I miss about law enforcement is the camaraderie. We were, we were really there for each other. We really helped each other because we were all we had. We didn't have these big departments with, you know, a whole team of people that would come in and investigators and all that we did it you know Mm. We were the ones doing it and we were total rookies all of us so it was kind of everyone was learning at the time
0: wow and do i understand correctly that your husband was did he was he also into law did he become i think i saw in the book where he was sworn in when you were Yes yeah, my,
1: my former husband and I we were uh in the police academy together. We were the first couple to graduate together, and we were hired by the same department together, so yes, we were on the same department, but they would never let us work the same ship so if i um, if I got off at three o'clock in the afternoon, he went to work at four o'clock in the afternoon, so they always staggered us and that is uh, my former husband, but yes, we were.
0: Okay. All right. Wow. That must have been really challenging.
1: Oh, to say the least.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. So how long were you with the force?
1: I was nope, with the force a total of three years.
0: hmm hmm We're just going to, we're coming up on the top of the hour. This is the other side of midnight. Our guest tonight is Karen Anderson, and the show is called The Amazing Afterlife of Animals. And we will be joining you after the break.